I invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading. It comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 3. We'll read verses 12 through 15. Let's read God's word together. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in the one body, and be thankful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. My wife Courtney and I have been married nine and a half years. This July, we're going to celebrate ten years. It's a exciting and uh, kind of hard to believe that it's been that long. And uh, I guess that's, that's a good thing, right? If it, if it seems shorter than it actually is, right? That's the opposite of the jokes we usually make, um, so, which I'm not making today, let it be noted. But uh, before we got married, we had a couple of conditions for one another, and they were kind of lighthearted, but also kind of not. And uh, so we had a couple of things that were important to us that we wanted the other um, to, to do with us. And, and so for me, um, I, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a, a pretty big Star Wars fan. And uh, I, I don't keep my Darth Vader helmet in my office anymore, but I have before. And uh, so Courtney had never seen any of the Star Wars movies somehow in the first 24 years of her life. And so whenever we got married, it was important to me that she watch all of them, that we watch them together. And so this wasn't a precondition. I guess it was a postcondition. And so, so after we were married, uh, she sat down and watched all, you know, back then there were only six, not 11. And so it was not quite as tall a proposition as it would be today, but, but she sat and watched all of them. And I'm happy to report she even enjoyed them. So that's a victory for me, and I'm really excited about that. But, but she was willing to do that, to watch these six movies that um, before she actually watched them was like, oh my goodness, what am I getting into? Well, she, she, um, she went through with it anyway and, uh, and managed to enjoy it. So, so she had done her part, and, uh, and being the wonderful husband that I am, I, I then had to do my part as well. For, for her, what she wanted me to do, she... Um, one of her favorite places in the world is Disney World. And so she wanted the two of us to go to Disney World together bef- without kids, um, just so that we could enjoy it and experience it together. It's a place that she and her family had lots of great memories, um, taking vacations together. And so she wanted to share that with me. And uh, I was not that interested in going to Disney World. Uh, I had been whenever I was in kindergarten and uh, had a great time. I went again whenever I was in high school and I was um, really too cool to have a good time. And, um, and so I pretty much checked that off of my list, like been there, done that. I don't really need to go again. And particularly whenever I, I started looking into like what kind of investment is it going to take to get us there, I thought, you know, we could go to another country that we've never been to. And I'm not even talking about North America. We could go overseas for the same investment as it takes to go to Disney World. But I love my wife, and it was important to her. And so we went. 
We went to Disney World four years ago, and, and actually um, it was right around the time that we decided we were ready to, to try to have children, and so that kind of gave us a, a timeline that we had to go. We couldn't put it off any longer. And so we went, um, had a wonderful time. We met Sebastian the Crab, and, and I even enjoyed it. I was glad that we went, and you might even notice on my hat, there's a blue Mickey Mouse. I had so much fun that I was wearing Mickey by the end. He's also on my socks today, if uh, you can see that far. But, but we enjoyed it, and so I was glad and, and even thought, you know, this is a place that, that we can come back to. And so um, Courtney was pregnant whenever we got there, and uh, so we tell Elsie, our daughter, that uh, her first time to go to Disney World was in utero. And, uh, but she didn't have a, a great experience there, um, not being able to see very much. And so we wanted to take her whenever she was old enough to, to appreciate it and, and enjoy it. And so just last week, we went again, and we took Elsie this time. And, um, you know, whenever Courtney and I went, we were able to kind of do what we wanted. You know, we got up early so we could get there as soon as the park opened and go straight to the, the good rides so we didn't have to wait in line for several hours. And it was fun. And, and we would stay there all day. And, and we were pretty much there every night until the fireworks. And, and then we'd go back. And, um, you know, this, this next time, um, we didn't quite get to set the agenda in the same way. So, so the first time we, we were in charge, who do you think was in charge the second time? this princess. And so she had a great time, but, but it was different. You know, we had to think about it differently. We had to think about, okay, you know, if we get there as soon as the park opens and, and take into account how long it's going to take to wait for a bus and then to ride the bus and then get through bag check and all of those things, she's going to have to get up really early. And we're going to pay for that later if we get her up really early. And, and so the, the calculations changed and we had to adjust. And, you know, there are all of these things that, that we wanted to do that, uh, you know, were not as interesting to her. And so we had to take that into account. Are we going to force her to go through this and, uh, and just wait for us to do rides that she's really not interested in? And maybe you're going to terrify her or are we going to skip them and not have as much fun? And so it was kind of a new thing that, that we had to figure out how to navigate. Well, we had a good time together. We got to... Um, we got to stand on the train. It was actually closed both times that we went, and I love trains. I don't, it's something about me, I guess, that they just happen to refurbish it around the time that we're there, but we at least got to stand on it while it was stationary and get a picture. And, uh, and so we had a lot of fun, but you know, there, there were just those things that, that I wanted to do, a few places that I wanted to spend a little bit more time, and maybe it's not surprising. I really just wanted to hang out there the whole time in front of the Millennium Falcon, and Elsie did not care. It was awful. It was heartbreaking. I mean, eventually, she's four and a half. She'll come around, probably. Her mom did, so, so I'm hopeful. But, uh, you know, we had to do it differently. And, and really, I mean, that's kind of um, what our marriage has been in, in a nutshell. You know, we, um, whenever we first got married, we, we both had these different ideas, these different dreams, these different goals and priorities. And we had to figure out how do we navigate that whenever we don't agree. If, if I want to spend my vacations this way and she wants to spend her vacations this way, you know, we only have so much money that goes toward that. We only have so many days off a year. How do we navigate that? How, how do we navigate those differences of, of expectations and desires? And then someone else comes into the family and suddenly everything is thrown into chaos and we have to adjust everything in order to, uh, to really make care for that life. And uh, a lot of things get left behind and, and sometimes that's okay and sometimes 
that's really hard, but it changes things. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, we're in the middle of a relationship series uh, called The Relationship Challenge. And, uh, and last week, Pastor John started us off, and, and he talked about singleness and, and what that looks like uh, today. And what we're doing is really kind of going through the, the lifespan of relationships. We started with singleness. Today, we're going to look at um, early marriage and um, marriage um, as newlyweds and then with, with littles, with uh, young families. And so what we experience at that time, and, and in the next couple of weeks, we'll talk about the next stages after that. Um, but, uh, but what we're hoping, you know, this doesn't apply to all of us. Um, you know, none of us are in all four of those stages at the same time. What we're hoping is that we can gain a better understanding of where other people are, but also that um, we can apply these principles um, to our relationships now, because I'm going to talk about things that are um, somewhat specific to early in marriage, but they don't only apply there. I mean, these aren't things that we outgrow, and uh, they really apply beyond marriage as well. And so uh, the, the kinds of things that we do, you know, marriage is, is a specific kind of relationship, but it's not qualitatively different from every other kind of, re- I mean, I guess it is in some ways. Let, let me backtrack a little bit. <laughs> But the kinds of interactions that we have apply to other relationships as well. And so even if this doesn't directly apply to you, I think you'll find things that do help as well as we look at what the scripture says about being in relationship with one another. And so like I said, Pastor John started us off last week. One of the things that he shared was in the community of Christ, singleness should never be synonymous with loneliness with loneliness. And sometimes in our culture, um, broadly, and, and even in the church, we, we behave in, in ways that, that somehow convey that if you're not married, if you're not in that kind of relationship, that you're somehow less than, that you're more valued if you're married, or, or even if, you have, if you're married with children. And that's not the case at all. And, uh, and so we, I thank Pastor John for, for clarifying that and sharing that. And uh, so what we, we want you to know, whatever stage you're in, in in relationships, whether you're single, whether you're divorced, whether you're married, we value you. You matter, and we're glad that you're here. And, uh, and we love you the way that you are. And, and so that's so important for us to hear. And one of the things that John shared was that the first thing that God said was not good in the Bible was loneliness. And, and so we want to become a place, well, I think we are a place, and we're continuing to work to grow at that, where everyone has a place, where everyone can have a community, where everyone can feel valued, where they can be supported and encouraged. And so that's the kind of community that we're working to create here. And so that's, that's where we were last week. Where we're going now is looking at, at our relationships um, in marriage, and particularly in early marriage. And the reason that we want to talk about this is relationships in marriage can be our, the greatest source of joy in our lives, but also the greatest source of pain. Whenever they're going really well, um, marriage and, and relationships in general enhance our life. They make it better. Whenever things are going badly, they, they support us. They make it easier. They give us people who are in community with us who can walk with us and, and encourage us and, and help get us through whenever things are hard. And whenever they're not, it can be utterly devastating. It can be just tragic. And so it's really important that, that we learn how to do relationship well, how to be in relationships with one another, and how to love the people God has placed in our life in the best way that we can. Because whenever we do that, it's not just a blessing to those of us in the relationship, but to the people around us as well. And so this really matters. And, um, and it's interesting whenever we become married, whenever we enter into that relationship. And, you know, sometimes we enter into it with, um, you know, rose-colored glasses and, and everything is great and this person is so wonderful. And, and sometimes, or not sometimes, I think always, um, there, there's a point where that turns a little bit and, and things that used to be really cute become a little bit tiresome and a little bit obnoxious. 
And, uh, and we realize that, that our expectations are not the same as those of our spouse. Um, we expect these certain things to happen. And, and really the thing about expectations is a lot of times we don't even realize we have them until they're not met. And so we just assume this is how normal, sane people do things. And, and then we move in with this other person. It's like, oh, you don't, did you just leave your dish in the sink? That's how you do things in your family? We didn't, I didn't know I had that expectation, but now I do. And, and so we're figuring that out. That's what a lot of early marriage is, is figuring out how do we navigate those things. And, and then if we have children, they come along and, um, and everything kind of goes nuts and the prior, priority of our marriage can easily be lost. Because whenever you're just trying to get by, it's, it's difficult to set aside any time to, to nurture that relationship. And so here's, here's my hope for us today is, is that in whatever stage your relationship is, that um, whether you're married or not, that you can find things that help you to grow in your relationships. And, and particularly if you are married, that, that you have things that, that you take things from this that will help you strengthen that. Because your marriage can be one of life's greatest blessings and sources of strength, both for you, for, for children, and for your community, for the people around you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look to the scriptures and ask what they have to say to us about that. What, what did the scriptures tell us about how we live together? And so we're actually going to start with choosing the right outfit. And, uh, you know, really that's kind of how some relationships start is whenever we go on that first date, you know, and you've got to figure out what am I going to wear. And so you, you look at your potential options, you open up your closet, or if you're the kind of person who where laundry goes on that chair in your bedroom and you just kind of grab things out of there, you, whatever it is for you, and you look and you say, okay, what is it that I want to wear today? What, what is it, what can I wear that will communicate about me what I want to be communicated, right? And so if I, uh, if I dress up too much, am I going to come on too strong? If I look like I'm ready to walk down the aisle, are they going to think, whoa, this, this guy's moving a little bit too fast? Or if I look too casual, am I taking this seriously? Am I, am I respecting the person that I'm with? If I wear a t-shirt, if I wear one of my Star Wars t-shirts, is that, am I going to come off as way too nerdy and, and maybe like, a, like a, I don't have any kind of social sense at all? Or is it going to be cute and quirky? And, you know, we overthink these things. Uh, apparently it's not cute and quirky. Okay, noted. <laughs> Make the adjustment for the 1045. <laughs> But we really overthink that and try to think, how can I, how can I dress myself in a way that, that's going to, to convey what I want to be conveyed so that I'll be perceived in a favorable light? And so this is actually the metaphor that Paul uses in Colossians 3 is, is what he talks about. And, and throughout this chapter, he's talking about if, if we are people who believe that Jesus is Lord, what does that mean for the way that we live together? What does it mean for the way that we live together? And so he teaches the Colossian Christians to live together following Jesus' example. If, if we really believe these things about Jesus, it's not just something that lives in our head and nowhere else. It actually changes the way that we live in relationships with other people. And so he was talking about people who follow Jesus in general. How do we live together in general as, as the church, as the community of Christ? But these are also things that apply specifically um, to our marriages as well. And so he's, in, he's using this metaphor. Whenever people would be baptized at that time, they would actually um, take off their old clothes and they would receive a new robe that they would put on 
on it, and it symbolized uh, becoming cleansed and, and putting on Christ. And so they'd take off the old clothes, and it represented taking off of all of the things, the, the sins that take us away from God that, that harm our human relationships, taking away selfishness, taking away pride and greed and lust and all of those things that harm our relationships, and instead putting on Christ and all the things that build us up that draw us closer to Him. And so he instructs them to clothe themselves with virtue, and the specific virtues he talks about are humility, I'm sorry, or compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and above all, love. And so I, I probably don't have to go into a lot of detail to, to explain how these can be helpful in a relationship. One thing that, that's interesting, though, is, is humility. Is humility. If you were in that culture, you wouldn't have expected humility to be lifted up in a list of virtues. In, in the ancient world, the Greco-Roman world that Paul was operating in, humility was, was something that was considered contemptible. It wasn't virtuous. It was something for, for low-class people. And in fact, in fact humility was, was really the way that, that you expected a slave to behave, a slave or a servant. They, they were humble because they were lower than you, and so they needed to act that way. For someone who was, who was upper class, who was in the higher class, you wouldn't act that way because that, that wasn't true. You weren't below anyone else. You, you, were, you were above them. And for Christians, this gets totally turned around because of who? Jesus, right. Sunday school answer is what I'm looking for. That wasn't intended to be a hard one, but because of Jesus, because of the way that, that he lived. And, and we see it from the very beginning that, that he chose to be born in a stable in Bethlehem, that the people, he, the family he was born to wasn't a, a royal privileged family, but was a, um, was a carpenter and, and a young woman who were not particularly prosperous. The people that he, that he associated with were just working class people, everyday fishermen. And um, the, the people that he associated with that they traveled to and ministered to were people who were possessed, who were lepers, who were cut off from the community, not, not the upper crust. And then on the last night of his life, Jesus could have done anything. And what did he choose to do? He chose to wash his disciples' feet. He wasn't the one who was supposed to do that. They should have been washing his feet. He was their Lord. And he chose to do that. He chose to lower himself, to see them as better than himself and, and to empty himself to serve others. And really for us, that, that really gets to the core of what it means to love someone else. What it means to be in relationship is what we see in him, in humility and being willing to humble ourselves. And uh, if, if you've been in the marriage game very long, you know that humility is what's going to get you through, right? I mean, if you're in a relationship, it, it really helps if the other person doesn't think the world revolves around them, Right? It's not a lot of fun to be in relationship with those people. I mean, relationship is not even really um, the right word to describe it. You can relate to them, but it's hard to be in a relationship with them if they think they're the only one that matters. It, it just doesn't work that way. And so we need all of these virtues. We particularly need humility and above all, love, as Paul says. And so we're, we're looking, how do we apply that to marriage? How do we apply that whenever we're starting out? And so uh, really, in some ways, whenever we're early on, we're, we're learning to dance with one another, as we said. And, uh, and we're just kind of figuring things out about each other. And, and uh, we know, uh, we think we know plenty whenever we get married. And then, well, we learn a lot more after that, don't we? Yep. And so we learn all of these things and, and we're learning how to navigate life with someone else whose dreams and desires and expectations are different than ours. And sometimes radically so. I mean, sometimes just really different. And, um, and we figure out things about the other that, that just aren't quite the way that, that, that we thought they would be. And sometimes it's small stuff. You know, one of the things early in our marriage that, that I remember was once um, I, I get up first and usually shower first and then Courtney gets up and, and showers after me. And one morning she said, you know, why, why is the bath mat always soaking wet whenever I get into the bathroom? 
And uh, I thought, you know, we, we have this bath mat because, um, because it's supposed to dry off your feet. I mean, that's what a bath mat is for. I mean, why, if you have to dry your feet before you get out of the shower, why even have one? And she's like, no, a bath mat is like so you don't slip and hit your head and fall. And uh, you need to dry off your feet beforehand. And, and that just did not make any sense to me at all. I did not know that there were people out there who thought that way. Well, you know what I do now whenever I get out of the shower? I dry off my feet. And, uh, and so I, but I was, that was an expectation that I never even would have dreamed of. The other thing that I ran into is, is Courtney, whenever we would have butter, she kept putting it in the refrigerator. And, uh, and I would leave it out so that it would soften like a normal person. <laughs> and then she would put it back, and so I'd make toast, and I'd try to butter it, and then the toast would just break in half because the butter was so hard. By the way, on this one, there's no compromise. Butter goes on the counter. I won that one. <laughs> Actually, for the next point, what I want to talk about is winning is maybe not a helpful way to think about conflict in marriage. <laughs> because really, I mean, that's what we're entering into. When we come in with these different expectations and these different desires, it's conflict. And sometimes we think our relationships should be without conflict, right? I mean, we, we should never fight. We shouldn't disagree about things. And that is, um, I mean, not true. That's not true. If we are two different people, if we're not an exact copy of one another, we're going to have disagreements. And that's not a bad thing. It's actually an opportunity for us to grow, both as a couple and as individuals. We're, we're going to have conflict. The, the important thing is not that we don't have conflict. It's that we do conflict well, that whenever we have conflict, that it's healthy. And whenever we have healthy conflict in marriage, it's not about who gets their way. It's about finding our way together. You know, whenever we enter into conflict, sometimes, especially if it's something that's important to you, it's easy really to see the other person as an obstacle. You're the person who's keeping me from what I want. And so instead of putting on compassion and kindness and humility, really whenever we're getting into a conflict, it's easy to put on our armor, you know, to grab your shield and to get ready to go into battle. And whenever we see it that way, there's no winning. I mean, you've probably been there. There are times that you get your way and you did not win, right? I mean, you find out later on, oh, <laughs> that, that, I thought I won that, and, uh, and it cost more than I realized. But, but really, whenever we have conflicts, it's an opportunity for us to find our way, to say, okay, I did not know that people dried off their feet before they stepped onto the thing that's supposed to do it for you. How are we going to figure this out? How can we care for one another given that we have these differing beliefs and, and sometimes differing values, how can we move forward together in a way that honors each other and that helps us to grow together? And, and really, whenever we, we're in that, in those moments of conflict, I mean, that's really where we need that kindness and compassion that Paul talks about. We need to have compassion toward one another. We need to be kind whenever we're in those, in those, in those conflicts. And the gentleness and patience that he talks about, I mean, that they're absolutely meekness or gentleness, depending on how you translate it, they're absolutely vital in those conflicts. And of course, if you don't think that your way is the only way, that helps too. That's where the humility kicks in. And, and so we, we, enter in, we learn how to do conflict well. The other thing that, that we continue to do um, that we particularly, it's easier to focus on early on is getting to know one another. And we can grow in love together by continually seeking to know our beloved better. 
And that's something early in a relationship, whenever you just start dating, that just kind of happens naturally. You're, you're curious about the other person. You ask questions. You want to know, you know, what, what, are, your, what are your favorite movies? And, and Courtney asked me that. I said, I'm glad you asked. Get ready. I hope you're not planning on going anywhere. But we ask all these questions. We ask open-ended questions. What do you want to do with your life? What are your dreams? What, what, what kind of house would you like to live in someday? And all of these things. And then once we get married, we kind of think that, and particularly later on, we begin to assume that we know the answers to those things. Yeah, I, I know who I'm married to. I pretty much know. And, and if I know that I can say this, and it'll be fine. And if I say this, it will not. And, and we kind of go that way, and, and we stop having those conversations. And one of the things that we can do particularly early in a marriage is really create the habit of continuing to have those conversations, of just asking, how, how are you doing? You know, how are things going? How, how is work going? Are you still having the conflicts with, uh, with what's her name who sits next to you? And, and what is her name who sits next to you? I, I've been meaning to ask you that. And those things that, that are easy just to take for granted. But we continue to have those conversations. And then when we can establish that as a habit, particularly later on, whenever things get difficult and, and more hectic, then we're still in that habit of having those conversations with one another. And, and whenever things are busy, we're still able to stay in tune with one another and move through that better than if we're just kind of drifting apart. This is what, uh, what John Gottman says, a marriage expert. He says, there are fewer, few greater gifts a couple can give each other than the joy that comes from feeling known and understood. And uh, one of the things that, that I know after nine and a half years of marriage is I do not completely understand Courtney. I mean, there's a lot that just about her that I just still don't get. And, uh, and that even sometimes, frankly, surprises me. And so if I'm not intentional about continuing to get to know her, continuing to grow in my understanding of her, it's uh, actually what Gottman calls it is, is uh, enhancing our love maps, enhancing our map of the, uh, our knowledge of the person we love. If I'm not doing that, then, then we end up drifting apart because I just assume and uh, think I've got it all figured out. Humility, once again, realizing that we don't know everything that we can always know. And so that's, that's a, a fun part of marriage. It's also a difficult one as you're navigating all of those things. And you know, there, there are things that are, that are fun and that are easy, like uh, butter and bath mats. And there are things that are harder, like, uh, you know, where are we going to live? What are, what are we going to do? What are our boundaries with work going to be? How are we going to use our money? How much to save? How much to spend? Where do we spend it? Where do we go on vacation? All those things we have to navigate. But then if we have children, a, a new complication enters the, uh, the equation, and we have to figure that out. And, and this dance that we're starting to figure out with two suddenly becomes three, and, and, um, and sometimes more than that, sometimes many more than that, and uh, it's difficult. But, but one of the things that, uh, I don't know if this is surprising to you, but, but in one study that Gottman did, he found that 66% of couples experienced a significant decline in marital happiness when they became parents. And uh, so I don't know if, uh, if how that, that feels to you, but that was both surprising and understandable to me. And, uh, but it was also helpful because whenever we had a kid, I mean, it got hard. It became difficult, and um, we struggled at times and, and still struggle at times. And so one of the things that I hope you take with you is if, if you're in that stage right now and things are hard, that you're normal. I mean, you're going through what two-thirds of people go through. 
And uh, I don't know about you, but that's helpful to know that it's not just, uh, we're not just struggling on our own. And so I hope that's, that's a comfort to you. But, but you know, we really, we really have difficulties because there are all of these, all of these new things that we have to figure out. And, uh, you know, we, we have this child and suddenly we have to, like, keep them alive. And, uh, I mean, and, and you know the feeling, like, if, if you've had a child and you, you go to the hospital and, and then you leave, you know, like, shouldn't there be a test before you, like... I mean, the, the closest thing to a test is like when the nurse comes out and made sure that I got the car seat in right. And uh, surely there should be something more than this. I mean, you didn't let me drive a car without getting a license first, and now I have to keep this kid alive, and, and then all the stress that comes with it, and, and figuring those things out, and, and hearing cries, and thinking, oh, something must be terribly wrong, and, and then not hearing cries, and thinking, oh, something even worse must be wrong, and, and just the stress that comes with it. And they get bigger and activities begin and suddenly we have to coordinate schedules and all of those kinds of things. And that's also the time when, when sometimes um, couples are making decisions about one of the people staying home. And that's a difficult decision to make that, that I think comes with a lot of guilt as well. And, uh, you know, if I, if I stay home, am I selling myself short? Am I selling my career short? Am I achieving the things I could have? Am I setting a good example? And if I don't, am I doing the best thing for my child? And am I all in on parenting? And, and all of those things, I think there's guilt either way in that. But, but that's a difficult transition to navigate. And throw that into the fact that really we're just trying to survive. And I know at our house, whenever work is over, I go home and try to enjoy some time with my daughter, but, you know, basically it's like, okay, we've got to get food on the table, now we've got to get her fed, now we've got to get her in the bath, and then get her changed, and get her to brush her teeth, and story time, and and then navigating the 18 different stalling tactics that are somehow new every night, and then get her to bed, and then by 7.30 or 8, whenever that finally happens, we don't feel like talking. I mean, it's just like, we're just kind of zoning out, and uh, just trying to make it till bedtime. And whenever you're in that stage of life, it's difficult to invest in your marriage. It's difficult to nurture your marriage whenever you're just trying to survive, whenever you're just trying to get to the next day. And it's also the most important time. I mean, it's kind of like whenever you're most stressed and, uh, and tempted not to, uh, to work out or exercise or care for your body, that's when you need it most. I mean, whenever there's the most stress on your marriage, that's when you need to care for it most. When life is crazy, protecting the priority of your marriage is all the more crucial because that's when we need each other, whenever things are crazy and, uh, and we're at the end of our rope and we're tired and tempted just to take it out on the one person who like, has to put up with us, right? And that's what ends up happening. And so things are difficult. And one of the things that are really important whenever we're going through those things is, is, as Paul instructs the Colossian Christians, to forgive and to give thanks. And, you know, whenever we're going through difficult times of life and experiencing those things and, you know, we, we just have one of those interactions that don't quite go right and, and I thought that I was saying something that was completely neutral and apparently the tone of my voice was anything but neutral... Has that ever happened to any of you? And then, uh, yeah, it just doesn't go right. And it's easy in those situations to think, you know, I'm stressed and I'm tired and they're not even trying. And, uh, you know, it's easy for them to think I'm stressed and I'm tired and he's not even trying. And so having compassion and being able to forgive one another and recognize, you know, this is hard and uh, we're both stressed out and I need to be able to forgive you. And then the other thing that he says is to give thanks. He says, bear with one another. If anyone has a complaint against each other, forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And then he concludes with, and give thanks, not just to God, but to each other as well. 
Because one of the things that's true in any relationship and it's true in life in general is that we tend to notice what we look for. The things that we look for, we tend to notice, right? I mean, we talk about this a lot with cars, like if you're really interested in a red car, suddenly every car is red, right? It's true in our relationships as well. Whenever I'm really focused on the thing that my partner is not doing or the things they are doing that I wish they would stop, that's what I tend to see, is I tend to see, wow, they're really doing that a lot, or they're not doing anything for me, and I wish they would. And, and we notice that more and more. In fact, in one study that Gottman did with, with couples, people who had a negative perception of their marriage, who were asked to keep track of the positive interactions they had with their spouse, they missed half of them. They missed half of the positive interactions because that's not what they were focused on, even whenever they tried. But they had in their mind that, that you know, we don't, our marriage isn't going great right now, and so that's what they saw. They saw the evidence of that. And yet whenever I stop to think about the things that, that Courtney does for Elsie and for me, I, I realize, wow, I mean, she does so much. Every Tuesday, my daughter does ballet. You know, we're, we're getting into the activity age, and uh, we really don't want to have something different all five days of the week. And so ballet is really kind of the one thing that she's doing right now. Okay, I guess she does tap and jazz too. Dance is really the one thing that she's doing right now. And so on Tuesdays, my daughter takes my daughter, my wife takes my daughter to dance in Norman. Not because she's a superstar dancer, actually, being a super, the parent of a superstar dancer it sounds exhausting. I don't know if I'm up for that. But because my mom owns a dance studio there. And, and so she drives her all the way there so she can be with her grandma and take dance with her. But I don't know if you've driven down I-35 at like 4 p.m. lately. It's not a really fun experience. And Courtney works in Yukon. And so every Tuesday she drives from Yukon to Frontier Elementary just next door and then to Norman and then back right around rush hour. And isn't, that's an amazing thing that she does. And it's not even her mom. I mean, it's my mom. I should probably be, I'm lucky that I've got meetings and, and I can't get away at that time. <laughs> but it's an amazing thing that, that she does that I'm so grateful for. And, and I just told you all that, so I need to go and tell her now. But if I'm not careful, that just becomes the Tuesday routine. It's what Courtney does for our family. And, and probably if I'm really not careful and I'm really having a bad day, well, yeah, I mean, she can get away. She needs to do it. That's what she ought to do. That's not the case at all. I, I mean, that's an amazing thing that she does for our family. I'm so grateful for that. And, and so I need to tell her that. Whenever we look for opportunities to give thanks, we realize that the other person is doing a lot. And so finding ways to express that, to, to express admiration, and, and even for things that are difficult. You know, uh, I know sometimes the, the, other pers- the way that we navigate boundaries with work is, is difficult. Even, even celebrating the difficult things sometimes can, can be helpful. And so not necessarily saying, I'm so glad that you're gone all the time. <laughs> That's, that doesn't help. But saying, you know, the, the way that you work to provide for our family, I appreciate that. The way that, that you excel in your field is, is so amazing. I, I'm thankful for that. I want to celebrate with that with you. Finding ways to celebrate and nurture that fondness and admiration in our relationship. And then whenever we change our perspective, it, it changes the way that we see things. And, and as we change our perspective, it changes our reality as well. The reality of our marriage changes because we live into the way that we perceive it. Whenever we're stressed and frustrated, it's easy to miss the many ways our spouse blesses us. And so just paying attention and then acknowledging and giving thanks for those things can be powerful. And then lifting those things up to the Lord as well. God, um, thank you. I have this amazing wife who drives my daughter to dance to Norman every Tuesday. I'm so grateful for that. Thank you for blessing me with her. 
and then lifting those up and, and it continues to form our hearts and to make them grateful. And so we can nurture fondness and admiration in our relationships by noticing and celebrating the acts of love that our partner does. Because they're a lot more than you notice, probably. They're a lot more than I notice, at least. And so look for them and then celebrate them. As we do those things, we learn to fulfill the vows that we make. And, uh, and at least if you uh, follow the United Methodist Book of Worship in your, in your wedding ceremony, one of the promises you made was to love and to cherish the other. And that's not easy to do. It's something that takes work and it takes practice. It takes continuing to have those conversations and it takes all the things that Paul talked about, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and especially love. And as we practice that, then our relationship is able to grow. And as we learn to love and cherish our spouses, our marriages can become sources of blessing for us and for our children and for all the world. So here's some action steps I want to lift up to you, and, and I want to encourage you to practice these this week, and if you do them, then I'll do them too. So just uh, shoot me an email and let me know how that's going, and uh, I'll, I'll let you know. Here's the first one. I want you to write a letter of appreciation to your spouse or loved one. If, if it's a spouse, you can even call it a love letter. And, but write a letter. It doesn't have to be flowery. You don't have to say, oh, your, your eyes are so shiny. They're like, they're like sapphires, especially if they're not blue. That doesn't help you. But, but just express appreciation for the things that they, that they do. You know, you make sure that all of the dishes actually make it into the dishwasher. And even though, all right, this is a sidebar, don't write this part. Even though we agreed on it five years ago on the chore chart that we created, all right, sidebar over. I appreciate that you do that. Thank you. And, and just go through and say the things that you're grateful for, and it'll be a blessing to them. You know, even if it's really mundane things, it's always good to know that we're appreciated. And so communicating that not only blesses them, but it also helps you get into that habit of, of cultivating that sense of appreciation for your spouse. The other thing I want to challenge you to do is ask, how can I make you feel loved this week? You know, this is another one of those things where, where it's easy to assume the answer. I, I, know what, I know what Courtney likes, I know what she wants, and I know what she expects of me. Maybe I don't. And maybe there's something going on this week where, where I can do something out of the ordinary that would make things easier for her or that would bless her. And so just asking that question, and then here's the really important part, do it, right? I mean, if you ask and don't do it, then it becomes an opportunity to lose points rather than gain them, not that points are, are the important outcome. But ask, how can I bless you this week? And then do it. And, and also go into it ready not to become defensive. Because if, if the answer is, you know, Brandon, if your shoes would make it to the closet instead of wherever you happen to be when you took them off, that would be really helpful. I mean, the temptation for me would be, well, well, I saw your jacket on the back of the couch, so I don't know where you go off getting on your high horse. That doesn't help you. Again, that defeats the purpose of the conversation. How can I make you feel loved this week? And if you're asked that question, which hopefully if, you're, if your partner is here, that you will be, um, respond in a way that, that makes it easy to say yes as well. And so as we go through this, I'm looking at, you know, 10 years, I'll probably do some reflecting. We went to Disney World this year, and so I don't think we're going to have a big 10-year anniversary trip. But, uh, you know, as, as I'm thinking about that, I, whenever we celebrate that, I want Courtney to be able to look back on the last 10 years and to say, you know what, because I was married to you, my life has been better. 
You've helped me experience the love of Jesus. You've helped me grow closer in my relationship with him. You've helped me become the person that I aspire to be that God has called me to be. And, and as we go on, as we hit 20 and 30, and, and I pray that we make it to 40, 50, and beyond, is that at the end of our relationship, at the end of our lives, we'll be able to say, because I was married to you, I know Jesus better. I've experienced his love through you, and I've been able to love others better as well. Because whenever our relationships are strong, whether it's a marital relationship or, or anything else, we're able to love better, not just the person in front of us, but the world. And as we love and cherish one another, we help them experience the love of Jesus, who shows us how to love. Will you pray with me? God, you made us for a relationship, and so we thank you for all the people that you've put in our lives. Sometimes it's really easy, and, and it's easy to be loving and kind and compassionate, and God, sometimes it's really hard. And so wherever we are in our relationships with, with our spouses or, or anyone else you've put in our lives, God, we pray that, that you would help us. You'd help us to love them better. You'd help us to be faithful. And God, we're so grateful that you give us the perfect example of that in Jesus. And so, God, we pray that you'd help us to live as he did, that we would embody the virtues that he models for us, that they would become such a part of us that it's as if we're wearing them. And so, God, help us to love with the love that Jesus has for us. And as he taught us, so we pray together now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in the heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.